Hello. Thank you for downloading this Downtown Hope Sermon Podcast. We're a faith-based community in the city of Annapolis, Maryland, orienting our lives around Jesus and exist to see the people of our city, region, and world thrive with the hope found in his gospel. Now, please enjoy the Sermon Podcast. Hey everyone, my name is Joey, as David said, and I have the incredible joy of serving Downtown Hope as lead pastor, and we have an incredible team of men and women across our church, our community leaders, who are serving our body in this crazy time. We're so glad you're with us, whether you're tuning in from your living room or your laptop, uh, whether this is your first time joining us, whether you're uh, a member of our church family here in Annapolis. We're so thankful. Let us know that you tuned in here and reach out to us if we can help you connect into the life of our church in any way. We believe that this season in a COVID-impacted world is an incredible opportunity for Jesus through the power of his spirit to do something in us that we all so deeply desire. It's the thing that these three weeks are about. It's the word transformation. So great to journey together. We're talking about transformation that comes from the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a a kind of change that happens, and maybe you're listening and you don't identify as a follower of Jesus. Maybe this is all new to you. We believe there is a lasting, substantial, real power for change in the human condition, and it's rooted in the person of Jesus and his love for us, demonstrated through the cross and the power of the resurrection. And this week, we we experience transformation in every environment of our church. There's change happening all around us, but the thing we're talking about these three weeks is what it means for us as a church in this next season to gather together in small discipleship bands. We gather in uh, here on Sundays online and in the field. We gather, as David said, in our communities through the week. And then within our communities, what we want to do is foster these discipleship bands. A discipleship band is two or three men, two or three women uh, meeting regularly, maybe weekly, every other week. We have a great little resource. There's a card. It has a, a wonderful little tree as a picture, a metaphor. And we want to be uh, like the tree in Psalm chapter 1, a healthy tree bearing fruit in season, um, who's growing, who's continually being transformed by grace. And so we have this great resource. We want to encourage you to find a couple of friends within your community. If, if you don't, can't find someone within your DH community, find someone uh, that you know and love and start banding up together. And we're so excited to see what the Lord has for us uh, in this next season. The last two weeks, we've talked about two things that happen in this process of transformation. Two weeks ago, we talked about something that has to come off, and it's right here in verse 18 of 2 Corinthians 3. The veil has to come off. We have to, as it were, become naked and be honest about our condition, about our inconsistencies, about our sin, about our deepest struggles. And then, but then when we're, when, when, when this, when the veil comes off, and when we're found to be vulnerable and naked, there's something that actually has to be put on, and David did such a wonderful job last week talking about the next section of this verse that we all with unveiled face are beholding the glory of the Lord. The thing that has to come on is the glory of the Lord, or we have to behold his glory, his wonder, his beauty, his gospel in our lives. And as we meet together in these discipleship bands, just as a review, we're asking uh, the question, what are the veils? What are the things in our lives that need to come off? What are the unhealthy behaviors? What are the sin patterns in our life? And then why are we 
acting out in those ways. We get down to the heart, down to the root. And then David last week said, and the thing we have to put on, the thing that treats our deepest sin is the gospel. We have to behold the glory of God, all of his wonder, all of his power in our lives. And what that really does is it brings us to what we're gonna talk about this morning and that in the wake of putting off our veils and putting on the gospel, something amazing happens in our lives. So I want to just read the second part of 2 Corinthians 18 here, and then we're going to take the next few minutes to talk through it. As I just read, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding in the glory of the Lord, and here's what we're going to be talking about this morning, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And this is God's precious, active, living word for our lives. A few years ago, my brother, who lives in another state, gave me a ring. He was really troubled on the phone call. Uh, he called me. He was struggling. I could tell it in his voice. He started to share a story with me about someone close to him who he really trusted. And he said, Joey, this friend of mine had an affair. He slept with another man's wife. He was married, he had kids, and, 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 I, and I, I just don't know how this happened. That's what he said to me. I don't know how this happened. How, Joey, did this unfold? How did this happen? How, I, I trusted this guy. I thought I knew this guy. I, I thought I knew his story. He was an influence in my life. I, I held him high on a pedestal. I looked up to him. And then this came out. And my brother was totally heartbroken. He said, well, how did this, Joey, help me make sense of this. How did this happen? And I said to my brother, I said, listen, this is really hard. I'm, I'm really sorry this happened. It's really sad, but what you have to understand is this didn't just happen when the event of the affair occurred. It didn't happen a week before that. It didn't happen a month before that. It didn't even happen a year before that, or it did, probably didn't even happen when he first met that woman. I don't know the situation, but likely what happened with this friend of my brother's is probably when he was younger at some point in his late teens or early 20s, he probably was in a situation where he started to be tempted. He probably started to be attracted to somebody else's girlfriend or he started to struggle in some way. And in that moment, what he may not have had, what he likely didn't have, was a couple of brothers, a couple of friends in his life who were walking with him who were asking him the questions, a safe space where he could share, where the veil could come down, where, where his friends could say, listen, thanks for sharing that temptation you're facing. We love you. We're with you. Jesus loves you. That's the truth of who you are in him is you are forgiven. You're accepted by him. He's the one who can meet the deepest desire in your heart for relationship. You don't have to look elsewhere. They could have walked with him and loved him and spoken the gospel into his life. And then the next week they could have met again and they could have said, how's that going? Talk to me, what's happening? And he could have shared how he was still struggling or working through it. But there would have been a pattern that laid out in his life of real, lasting, substantial change through the power of God's word, the power of the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit, and a few brothers with him. This is why these discipleship bands are so critical in this season in a world where we're so isolated and apart. And some of us are in this place right now. You're looking at your job situation. You're like, how did I get here? This is horrible. 
I'm so discouraged. Some of us are looking at a, at a broken relationship in front of us. We're like, how did I get here? I, 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 can't believe I, got, I can't believe I'm here. Some of us in our relationship with our father, or our mother, or our sons, or our daughters, we're like, how did it get so bad? How did, it, how did this brokenness come upon us at this time? Some of you are, are looking at your marriage right now and, and you're saying, this is, this is, we are in a really hard place. What happened? Because it felt like just the other day we were married, but now we feel so distant. Our marriage is totally plateaued. Some of us are in this place mentally or emotionally or physically where we're, there's so much unhealth in our life. And, and, and some of us in our walk with Christ are just apathetic. And it's like, where is the vigor? Where is the energy? Where is the passion? And we are just stuck. We're like, how did we get here? Some of us are struggling with an addiction no one knows about. And we're suffering through it. We're like, man, I don't know how I got here. But the incredible news this morning is that even in our darkest moments, even in our most desperate places, even when all hope seems lost, and you're like, that train could never turn around. There's not a chance this person could change. Even when the pattern has existed for years and is so prevalent, there is something that the truth of the gospel says. There is something that can happen in you. And it's what we discover in the third part of this verse. In the wake of the veil coming off, in the, in the wake of the gospel being put on, we find this in this simple phrase. We Paul writes, are being transformed. We're being changed. We're being changed from the inside out. We're being changed. And this is incredible news that we just want to take the next few minutes to walk through. This is from the Greek word transformed. is from the Greek metamorpho. It means to change into another form, to transform, to transfigure. It's the same language used when Jesus was transfigured on the mountain. It is a moment of change that God does in our lives when we come into the new life in Christ. Being a Christian isn't just going to church and doing religious activity. Being a Christian is what happens to you when the core identity of who you are changes. When the Spirit of God fills you, you become, the big theological word is regenerate. You come into a new life and you are changed forever in the eyes of God. You're made righteous. He gives you his righteousness. You're no longer guilty of your sin. You are, as we've been singing, set free. And that change happens, that's salvation in the moment, but the scripture teaches about salvation that continually works out in us. Another word for that is sanctification. And so uh, this transformation happens in a moment, but it happens over time. It's an ongoing process. And that's what this verse is about, that ongoing process. And there's three things in this one verse, in this last part of this verse that we discover about the, the process of transformation. First, there's a, re a reclamation. There's something that is reclaimed. There is a purpose to the transformation, something that's reclaimed. Secondly, there's an invigoration. There is a power that we find in this verse that's given for the change or for the transformation. And then finally, there's a progression to the change, which is incrementation. So first, the purpose of change, reclamation. And we find the purpose of why God transforms us right after he says the phrase, we are being transformed, what? Into the same image. Into the same image. This is the word in Greek where we get the word icon. What is this image that Paul is talking about? Uh, the, the Greek, it's an image, a figure, a likeness. 
Another way to transform, uh, translate it is to say, we are becoming more and more like him. And so there we find the image. The image that we are being transformed into is the image of God. God, in this process of transformation, is actually reclaiming his image in us. He's restoring the God image into his recreated, restored children. This is the image that God put into us at creation. We find that in Genesis chapter one. And it is the image that was lost in our first parents' rebellion in the garden. That's Genesis chapter three. And so the entire story of scripture in a way is the story of God returning us into his image, the image to what he intended us to be at creation. And by the way, just as a side note, this is, a, uh, this is called the Imago Dei theologically. This is a really important idea. And this is why, okay, this is why, especially in, in the world we find ourselves in, whenever we see a human being who bears the image of God being violated, we have a call as followers of Jesus to speak up about it. That's why when an African-American brother or sister is discriminated against for the color of their skin, we are called as Christians to speak up against that. That's why when we find a youth who's being neglected and looked down upon because of his age or her age, we come to their side. That's why when we see a child neglected, an orphan, we come to their aid. That's why when maybe we see a woman who's not being heard because of her sex, we listen That's why when we find an elderly person who's being pushed to the side, we care. That's why when we we hear of an unborn child that is uh, going to be aborted, the plan is for the child to be aborted, in compassion, we appeal. That's why when we find a sojourner in our land, a brother or sister from another country who is hungry, we bring food to them. And and it's been an incredible season uh, through COVID to be able to serve many of our friends from the Hispanic community um, and, 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 and bring them food through some of the pantries. It's why when a person is not given basic human rights, we talk about it. It's why when the systems in our government and in our world perpetuate injustice, we call for change. That's not a political statement. That's what we're called to do as followers of Jesus in the world. And this reclamation of God's image is needed in all of us because all of us are profoundly broken and all of us are sinners to the core. And so how do we know, here's the question, how do we know this this reclamation of this image of God is, is happening in us. How can we actually see that? Is this just theoretical? How can we tangibly measure this kind of transformation? And it's amazing. We find out what this image is in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. We find, for God who said, let the light shine out of darkness. Remember, this is a, a throwback to creation. This is so much a part of what Paul's getting at here. He says, the, the same God who said, let the light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so the basic transformation that happens to us is that God's image is restored in us as we reflect Jesus. And that's the purpose of our transformation is that we would reflect the glory and the beauty and the wonder of God. He's restoring his image into you and into me to cause us to be more like Jesus. And we know who Jesus was because we can read the Gospels 
and we can see a picture of his life. And we can say, are our lives being transformed and shaped like Jesus? But this begs a question, and this is our second point, our second observation. What is the resource that moves this process of transformation? Because if you're like me and you hear, wow, that's an incredible purpose for transformation, that we would reflect the glory of God. But I'm like, I don't have that in me. I, I can't just sort of muster up the kind of brightness and the kind of light that could reflect the glory of God from my life. And so secondly, we find in the, next, in the last part of this verse, there is an invigoration or there is a power that is given for change. First, there's a reclamation and secondly, there's an invigoration. And we find that in the last part, Paul writes, for this comes, this process of transformation comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And this is so important that we as a church get our head and our heart wrapped around this. The Holy Spirit is not some kind of essence or abstract theological concept. The Holy Spirit is a person, the third person of the Trinity, who is powerfully working in and among the bride of Christ. In and among you and me and us as a church, we He is moving, he is prompting, he is giving strength, he is giving power, he is giving endurance, he is giving gifts, he is bearing fruit, he is restoring, and yes, according to this verse, he is transforming our lives. There is a power that is not inside of us, it comes from outside of us into us, it wells up in us, it's the power of the Holy Spirit. I love how John 16, 7 says it, Jesus says the Spirit will come to help you, John 14, 6, he'll come to advocate for you. And then I love the example of this in Acts 16, 7. The Holy Spirit, uh, as, as Paul and the first Christians were actually thwarted from where they wanted to go because the Spirit of Jesus told them they couldn't go there. In fact, the whole book of Acts is a story of the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, leading and guiding his people. He's continually leading and prompting the first Christians, and he continues to do that with us on the adventures that he has us on. And so how, how does the Holy Spirit work? How does the Holy Spirit work in our lives? And there, there's, a, there's a thousand answers to that question, but let me just share from my experience and from Scripture some of the patterns that we see. The thing that the Holy Spirit will do is he, he will deposit a directive in us first. So he will bring to our imagination, to our mind, and an intention in our heart, an inkling about the next step we should take, it always is in line with scripture. Sometimes he uses the scripture directly. Sometimes he uses an experience. Sometimes he uses prayer. Sometimes he uses a brother or sister. And the spirit of God gives us a directive. And it's like, look, here's an area of your life that needs to change. Secondly, what he does, though, is he gives us the power to act. He gives us the strength. It's not something we can always see. But he puts a power in us to be able to act upon the directive that he gave. And then lastly, there is something that's critical, and that is that we have to take action. That is, we obey based on his directive through his power. Okay, this is Philippians 2.13. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Okay, let me just tell you a little story of how this played out in my life over the last couple of weeks. 
Uh, I picked my daughter up uh, from, um, I think she was serving at one of our pantries. We're driving home. She has a ton of uh, summer school homework to do. She's feeling a little overwhelmed, a little stressed. We pull up to a stoplight in Annapolis, and there is a woman who's begging for food. And I see Sophia just looking at her. You could see there was a new directive going on. I mean, she didn't say anything at the moment, but I, I could discern the Spirit of God is gripping my daughter's heart here and, and, and moving her. We pull past the light, we drive a little ways, and Sophia gives words to the directive that the Holy Spirit gave her. She said, Dad, we have to turn around. We have to go get her some food. This was just after she had told me about how overwhelmed she was with her schoolwork and how she didn't feel like she had time to do it and she was stressed about it. I said, are you sure, baby? Because, you know, you just told me all this, you know, and she said, no, Dad, we have to. So we pull into the grocery store. We walk the aisles. I said, well, what, what should we get for her? And she knew. I, we need to get her some granola bars, and we need to get her some water. Okay, boom, we're getting granola bars, and we're getting water, and we get it from the grocery store, and we get back in the car, and we drive back, and we park, and we get out of the car, and we dr- walk across the intersection, and we hand it to her, and she was so grateful. And we got back in the car, and we, and we drove home. And so what was happening there was the Spirit of God was giving my daughter a clear directive, gave her strength to persevere through the stress and the anxiety she was having about her work, relieved that, gave her power in order to say, no, this is what we have to do. She was obedient. She made the call. I'm like, I'm 100% with you, sister, here. And, and, and we were able to do that. It's a small thing. It's such a small example. But this is the hope that we have for our lives as we submit ourselves to the transforming work of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So say a friend sees that you're physically unhealthy, they can say to you, they can give you the directive, hey, you got to go work out. They can even buy you, graciously buy you a resource of a membership to the gym. But at the end of the day, you have to obey and I have to obey. That's biblical obedience, okay? Biblical obedience is not doing something for God to get something from him or to appease him, but doing something because of him, because he is that glorious, because he is that wonderful. And in response to his restorative work in us, that is why we obey. And the most amazing thing is that the progression or the mapping or the trajectory of this transformation process is so deceptively simple. And this brings us to our final observation. There is a reclamation of the image of God in us. There is an invigoration of the power of the Holy Spirit who calls us to, gives us directives, gives us strength and power and calls us to obedience, to take action. And then there is what that process actually looks like what that mapping looks like. What is that progression of change? And we find it right here. It's the most encouraging word for, words for me in this entire passage. We're being transformed into the same image. And here's the progression. From one degree of glory to another. Literally, from glory to glory. It is the sense that as followers of Jesus, we are by one degree at a time getting brighter and brighter in what God is doing in our lives, through our lives. This is an incremental change, and this means that the step of obedience that we take 
is not a leap to the other end of the room. It's just one step. Lord, what do you want next? It's just one step. Lord, I need power. I need directive. What do you want me to do next? I'll take that step. Just one step. He's going to guide each step of the way. He's going to use people, the truth of his word, brothers and sisters in your life. Lord, what's the directive? What is the next step? One little step at a time. Eugene Peter says, Peterson, in his, the title of his book, says it this way, it's a long obedience in the same direction. In Dallas Willard's book, The Divine Conspiracy, he opens up the book and he talks about Michael Jordan. And if you know Michael Jordan, the reason why Michael Jordan is Michael Jordan is not because he woke up one day and could slam dunk and stick his tongue out and be the most exceptional athlete of our time. It's because he took step after step after step. He submitted himself to a process. And after step after step, after hours after hours, after days after months after years of stepping in a consistent, steady direction, Michael Jordan became Michael Jordan. Tragically, my brother's friend, after step after step, after step, after days and months and years in the wrong direction, finds his marriage falling apart and having negative impact on a lot of people's lives, wreaking havoc. And some of us this morning find ourselves in this place. And maybe you're just apathetic. Maybe you're just cynical. Maybe you feel distant from God. Maybe you're in a funk. Maybe some of those things I mentioned earlier are your story. There is hope. There is incredible hope right here. The process, the trajectory of transformation is one simple step. That's it. That's all. That's all that God's calling you to. I love how Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 says it. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw everything that off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith for the joy, and listen to how this played out in Jesus' life, for the joy set before him. He endured the cross, scoring his shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We studied that uh, uh, last year as a church. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. That's a beautiful picture of how the Lord transforms our lives, but we have to submit to a process. And that's why this is not the only way, this is not the best way, you can take this, you can adapt it, but I wanna challenge every single person in our body in this next season, do not go on in life without having a few brothers or sisters in your life who are intentional. It's not just you get a coffee or a beer and talk, that's good, we need that kind of thing. This is about formation. This is about submitting ourselves to Christ and letting others speak into the process. And how we do this in the card, I just want to keep reminding us and going through it, right? We're, we're taking off the veil. We're beholding as we meet the glory of God. We're applying the gospel. And then what starts to grow in our life is transformed, healthy fruit. Because as we meet, we're asking the question, Lord, what's the next step? And we're sharing that with one another. We're not only doing that personally, but we're also taking steps out to share this incredible news of the gospel with our neighbors and friends as we make disciples. I'm so hopeful for our church as we 
further deepen the fabric of discipleship. We are here to help you with that. Um, We have a resource that's in the gathering guide this morning. We have a link on our website. We're gonna be talking about this and helping you to take steps in this in the days ahead. If you need help forming a, uh, a discipleship band, if, 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 uh, if you need any help at all, reach out to us, info at downtownhope.org, and we can help you take that next step. I shared a few weeks ago that I'm on a journey myself being transformed from one degree to the next. One of my deepest struggles is work addiction. And the last couple weeks, I've had some high moments. It's been good. Um, I was able to put work down. I felt like the Lord is working out this process in me. I've been able to practice Sabbath. Uh, That was one of the steps that the Lord was calling me to take over the last couple weeks on Friday and Saturday, just rest. I got a nap in. It was amazing. It was such a a gift, such a joy. Um, Katie was encouraged. I have a couple brothers in my life who are calling me out on it and, and holding me accountable to it, a little discipleship band. But I had some low moments too um, where I was trying to do too much at once and I let work override some of our family time. But I'm in a process. The Lord has me in a process. I'm being transformed into the image from one degree of glory to the, to the next through the power of the Holy Spirit. Will you run with us? Will you take that step this week? Can you imagine if my brother's friend had this in his life? I'm so hopeful for us as a church. Let's pray. Father, this little verse in 2 Corinthians 3.18 we've just been dwelling on over the last three weeks is such an such a encapsulation of the process you bring us into in the new life in Christ. You reclaim your image in us. You invigorate us with power from your spirit. And incrementally, one degree to the next, you call us to obedience and you change us. And we thank you that this is your work from beginning to end. We pray, Lord, in this next season that you would cause us to band together as brothers and sisters and that you would give us these directives and you would move in our lives and you would transform us. That's our vision. That's your vision for us. That's your vision for the world. It starts with us, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.